Mac Power Users, Episode 709, Save Your Shift Key. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks, joined by my friend and yours, Mr. Stephen Hackett. How are you today, Stephen? I'm great, David. How are you? Oh, man, it's it's Apple season. We're going to get new iPhones in a week. I mean, yeah. actually a couple days after this thing drops. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is a fun time of year for me. I always love to see what they do. And um, we, uh, we're we heading into that. Uh, the, the weather's cooling off. It's all good, brother. It's all good. We are the, I didn't mention, by the way, we're the Mac power users. We're here to help you become power users of your Macs and all other things Apple. Um, let's get into real quick, Stephen, about next week. So we've got a couple things going on. First, Stephen's got some great news. Yes, I will be attending the iPhone event. So this is my first invite to, a, uh, to an iPhone keynote. I've been to WWC a few times. And that's really exciting. And I love going to WWDC. I love the energy. We've talked about this. The energy of WDC yeah, is so it's, good. It's amazing. Uh, but I will also uh, be attending this. So I will be in California for a couple of days uh, next week. We're going to record the next episode of MPU while I'm there. And that episode will be coming out on hopefully Wednesday is the is the hope. So it'll be out just a few days after this one. Yeah, exactly. Since Steven's going to be in the room, hopefully get hands-on. We want to get that report out as soon as possible. So next week's episode will drop probably just a few days after this one. Yeah. So make sure to get them both, um, you know, two for week. The uh, I will be, as usual, uh, in Johnny Ives' white plane, uh, circling over Cupertino, as we'll be watching it on his big screen. Uh, he, he's got the – he <laughs> called me. He said he's got the beta – Apple TV that never shipped in his play now. So okay. we're going to go watch it on that, which will be cool. But I will also be uh, in the Discord for the Max Market Labs and I don't know, probably a few other places. But if you're in the labs, make sure you get your Discord sign up. It's part of the labs membership for everybody. And we can all be talking in there about the stuff as it goes down. Maybe Johnny will step in and say hello once in a while too. I don't know. I don't want to promise. Johnny's mm. a little fickle. You know, he's a little Yeah. Fickle. Yeah. You don't want to get, honest. you don't want to write a check that he's not going to cash, you know? Yeah, I, I, you know, I was supposed to go last year, and I started talking to him about how I don't like any of the Apple Watch faces, and he just disinvited me. He's like, well, then don't come. And so last year I had to watch it at home. But this year I told him that I really thought the faces, that he, the utility face was still the best. And he's like, yeah, I agree. You can come. So that's that's what happened. Either way, man, I'm so happy that you're going to be there. a very elaborate it, conversation. Well, I mean, this is this is, I mean, you think this is fictional, but this is true. I mean, this is totally true. Yeah, Johnny and me, we're, we're like that. <laughs> but the uh, but I think it's awesome that a Mac Power user is going to be in the room at the mm-hmm. Apple Phone event, so that's going to be really good. And um, yeah, and I really can't wait. We've got a lot of announcements. We're going to do a segment today with kind of the summary of the rumors as the show publishes. Uh, but you know, it's not long. We'll get all the the real story from Apple, mm-hmm. and I can't wait. Yeah, so we got we have all that going on. The day of the keynote is actually five twelve pixels fifteenth birthday. Which means yeah. a lot to me. I mean, yeah, you know, like uh, really, that's impressive, right? You know, fifteen years later, you're at Apple Cupertino in in the Apple Park watching the keynote. Uh, so we have we have all that going on. Um, briefly, I had a couple of questions about where my Kickstarter is at. So the, the yeah. 2024 Apple History Calendar is at the printer as we speak. They bought the paper a few days ago. 
So it'll be on the press probably while I'm in California. And those will start shipping out in October. Uh, so if you are a backer of that Kickstarter, you should have gotten an email from BackerKit uh, in the last few days getting your address and if you want any add-ons. So if you don't see that, you know, check your junk folder or uh, if you don't, if you can't seem to find one, uh, reach out to me and I can get you hooked up. Yeah. Um, and also, I want to thank everybody who bought the Obsidian Field Guide. I've had lots of great feedback. As I said in the show, I was a little nervous because it was such a tough nut to crack, but I think I got it. Everybody uh, that's getting it is really happy with it. And as this show publishes, it's the last day of the introductory price discount. But I am going to leave the MPU discount, which is Obsidian MPU. I'm going to leave that turned on for a couple extra days. I'm not going to tell anybody else about that. So even though everybody else is getting shut down on Sunday, you guys have a few more days. And then I'll shut that one down too. But thanks, everybody. I really appreciate it. And uh, I love making field guides. I don't know how else to put it. And I love that those emails I get from people saying that it's helping them figure something out and do something uh, there are so many listeners doing important work, way more important work than I do, but they're using the stuff I teach them to do it better. And, you know, that uh, that makes me sleep well. Yeah, it's really cool. Uh, today on More Power Users, I am considering a 3D printer. This has been something that's gone off and on my radar for a long time. I can make a case for it and against it. I'm definitely not in the bag for one, but I like the idea of one. And Steven has owned one for some time, so we're going to talk about that in more power users. And I was thinking about it as I got on the mic today. I'm like, why would I have Steven help me make this decision? He's like the world's biggest enabler. So yeah. we'll see how this all goes. Yeah, how's your Mac Studio, yeah. buddy? Is it good? Oh, it's awesome. Yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> I love this computer. So you, you, led, me, you led me right there. Um, but it's also September, which is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month, and you know, Relay, we've got this long relationship with St. Jude. Stephen has personal uh, experience with St. Jude. They they helped him and his family out a great deal. And this is the month to give. And I, w- I kind of like that it overlaps the Apple event because we're all talking about spending money on stuff. But, you know, we can also give some money to people that need it. With If you go to stjude.org slash Relay, you give them money and they help cure children of cancer. They help take care of their family. They're a huge research hospital. And we've got what it's over 2.2 million in past contributions from relay listeners. Mm -hmm. And what, how are we doing this year so far, Steven? So as we record this on Tuesday, September 5th, we're at 163,000, which is over halfway to our goal. Our goal this year is 293 K. That's a weird number, but that gets us to the 2.5 million over five years. Obviously we're hoping and honestly expecting to, to blast through that 293, but the generosity of the entire Relay community has just been just out in force this year. We are ahead of where we expected to be at this point in the campaign this year. And it's really awesome. Uh, one of my favorite things that we get to do is have uh, people in the community start their own fundraisers as part of our campaign. And there's been a lot of this in the Relay FM member discord of people talking about what they're doing. So we have uh, someone who mows uh, mows a lot of grass, mows a lot of yards for people, and they're like, if you donate X amount, you can get your initials cut into someone's yard, and they do a time lapse of it. It's really cool. Uh, people yeah, doing nice. video game streams and all sorts of stuff. And if that sounds interesting to you, if you want to fundraise on behalf of St. Jude in partnership with Relay FM, if you go to stjude.org/relay, there is some resources there 
to help you get set up. And if you do your own fundraiser, you're eligible for this for this really cool challenge coin. It has Mike Hurley on one side and me on the other. And if you raise uh, $250, you get this really amazing desk pad that has, again, Mike and I on it. Um, all sorts of stuff. There's employee matching, which is a huge deal. There's donor-advised fund giving. So there's lots of ways to give this year. And you may be wondering, okay, like, well, what does this money actually do? Well, let me let me share some numbers with you. So St. Jude opened in 1962. Back then, childhood cancer was largely considered incurable. You know, we talk about like the, the moonshot idea. This was a moonshot in 1962. And, and today, in the years since, treatments developed at St. Jude have helped push the overall cancer survival rate from 20% to 80% in kids since opening. That is amazing. And in what is relatively a short period of time, but 80% is not 100%. Pediatric cancer is still the leading cause of death by disease among US kids ages 14 and younger. And we all believe St. Jude Relay, we all believe that every child deserves a chance to live their life and celebrate every moment. So that is why we do this because this money goes towards research and treatment. Uh, and like what David said, they take care of the family. So travel, housing, and meals are all taken care of for you as a St. Jude family. And as a dad who went through this with my oldest son, Josiah, was diagnosed with a brain tumor at six months of age, St. Jude saved his life and also like kept our family going through this, uh, this great community they have and all the support they have for families. And so it means the world to us that the community gets behind this. So you want to go to stjude.org slash relay. It's the top link in the show notes this week. Uh, Donate, find out how to fundraise, set up employee matching. Lots of great stuff there. Uh, And if you have given, thank you so much. There have been so many of you who have sent me little notes or, uh, you know, things on Mastodon or Instagram, other places. Uh, Thank you. It, It really, what I get out of this is not a lot of sleep during the month of September. And I get so encouraged by people who from around the world who believe in this mission and want to help kids that are in the situation our son was in 14 years ago. And so that, that means the world to me. So please visit stjude.org slash relay. I feel like Steven, um, yeah, cause we're Mickey Mouse is paying. He's matching us this year because awesome. Daisy got full time. And so if you do have a full-time job and your company matches, just remember this is you double your money. So this is great. Um, but I was just looking at this thing where you can start your own campaign and thinking about, we have so many listeners that are in like uh, Mac user groups or, you know, community technology groups of one flavor or another. I feel like this would be great if you're out there and you're running one of those groups, why not do that? It, it feels really good giving. And if you could kind of coordinate that for your group, you can really be a force multiplier for this, you know, for this, this, this great cause. In fact, I was thinking Stephen about offering some other kind of like goal for people. I was thinking, you know, I feel like in the MPU listening audience, we probably have some LARPers, right? Mm-hmm. You, you know what a LARPer is, right? I do. Yeah. You know, so if we have a LARPing group out there, let's just, I'm going to throw this out there, Steve, and you tell me if you're good with it. Oh boy. <laughs> we have a LARPing group okay. that can raise 50 grand. Me and Steven are going to LARP as um, Avatar. We're going we're gonna to paint ourselves blue. How's that? That's quite the statement you've made. 
But uh, yeah, we'll see I think how that Steve, goes. I think that's a yes. I think that's a yes. <laughs> I think it's a yes. Anyway, let's talk about Mac Power users. We got a lot going on. Feedback episodes are always some of my favorites. Let's start with listener feedback. Pierre Luc uh, wrote in, I am a junior developer looking to start development on the Apple platform, and I was wondering if a 15-inch MacBook Air with an M2 would be sufficient for my needs. Yes, it would. I, yep. I feel like the, you know, we've talked about this before, but the low end, the biggest beneficiary of the Apple Silicon generation is the low end Macs because they are, they, they, they now hit benchmarks that would have been a MacBook Pro a little while ago. And granted, it would be faster if you spent 3000 on the super, you know, high end MacBook Pro, but you are going to be just fine on that. And, um, and good luck to you, Pierre Luke. Yeah, the Air is such a good machine. I think I shared this on a feedback episode, but I got to spend some time uh, with somebody I was helping set up a 15-inch MacBook Air for them. And I really walked away very impressed by that machine. The size is great. And like it's when you think about a 15-inch laptop, I think about like the old MacBook Pros. It's like sure. this is not that. It is really thin and light, but it's 15 inches. It kind of has the same feeling. Maybe the first time if you've ever experienced a 12.9-inch iPad Pro or like yeah. the screen real estate versus the thickness and weight don't quite make sense. Like, how is this so light? Uh, I just I was really impressed with the 15-inch Air, and I think it would, it would be a, an excellent development machine. I think you're really going to like it. Yeah, when I was up in Cupertino for WWDC, I did a 4K video for the labs on my 13-inch MacBook Air, which is also M2. And it just, it did it. It did great. I think it probably did it faster than my old iMac Pro would do. And granted, my fancy Mac Studio is faster and better. But honestly, I could I could get by with a MacBook Air myself. It's just, it's just such a great computer and at such a great price point. So that will be, I think you'll be just fine with that. Mm-hmm. Paul wrote in with a open source alternative to Grammarly. Uh, so we were speaking about Grammarly on a, on a recent episode and how both you and I use it to check things that we're publishing for grammatical mistakes or typos, that sort of thing. I still make typos and grammatical errors, but I do I do make an attempt to run things through Grammarly. Uh, and so Paul wrote in about languagetool.org. There'll be a link in the show notes. So this is open source, but there is still a paid premium version of it. But my understanding in reading through their material is they they have their uh, sort of their engine available for people to look at and tinker with. Uh, it's got everything you would expect. So browser extensions, a Mac app, um, and more supposedly coming soon. There's a free version that does basic grammar, punctuation, and style checking. So I set up a free account. And I had my Grammarly account, which I do pay for, but I had them side by side. I pasted in the same blog post I was working on to both of them. And they were very close in what they suggested I change. I feel like Grammarly was a bit more stylistic in some of its suggestions to me. But also, I've been using Grammarly for years, and it may be that it knows a bit more about about me, right? I also have settings in Grammarly for like, I don't write with the Oxford comma to the chagrin of many people. And so it knows, okay, that's not an error. That's how this, this joker writes. And so there, there were some differences, but I was very impressed with, with how close they were. 
I'm sorry. So you use the Oxford comma or you don't? I do not use the Oxford comma. Please don't send uh, me an email about that, dear listener. I, I know. I don't know if we can continue the show. It got burned into me in college, you know? Like, uh, All right. All right. I, I'm just going to pretend I didn't hear that. So, But but you think it's <laughs> it's as good or in the ballpark, right? Totally we're, in the we're ballpark. Moving on. We're moving Totally on. in the ballpark. Yeah. Um, you get 10,000 characters per file in the free version. And they have the thing that Grammarly and basically everyone else does now where you can have uh, chat GPT or something like it help you with your writing. Premium starts at $4.99 a month. The only thing I don't like about their pricing is that it's only $4.99 a month if you sign up for two years. And I feel like that's a big commitment for a service like this. But if this floats your boat or maybe you like something about this more than Grammarly, it can be a lot cheaper. Grammarly can get kind of expensive. And so I think if you're looking for something like this, uh, take them both for a spin. They both have free plans and you can kind of see what, fits with your style better the the bigger question for me on this and this is something that is really to me sinking in on all these ai platforms and there are so many i just someone just turned me on to a an app for the mac called monica and it's a um it's an ai engine that runs bard and chat gpt and images it does like it's like a a face for all of the AI engines you can run. And it's a nice Mac app, but it's like, all of these are like, how many of them are going to be around in a year? Yeah. I don't know. Because I feel like it's, it's like the streaming services. Everybody's got these ones. Now they're competing with each other. The services that Grammarly gives me, I pay for Grammarly. I really like, but will chat GPT and things like Monica fold Grammarly like, power into them in the next year so if you pay for two years of this other thing are you gonna feel like you don't need it in two years i'm i'm really interested in these apps but i'm getting all of them on a monthly basis you know Mm -hmm. because i feel like every month one of them may fall away but uh, it's an interesting time to explore with this stuff but i I don't think really the the big players are sorted yet yeah i don't know uh i think you have that and then i think you also have the like what is it going to be good for in the long term is also a bit unknown. So I used AI with the field guide for the transcripts. I used Mac Whisper, which is a local AI app on the Mac to pull the transcript from the audio recording. And then I used ChatGPT to add um, legitimate paragraph breaks to it. Mm-hmm. But all that was AI generated. It's the first time I've done all that via AI. And overall, it did a pretty good job. But the um, But that's different from asking it, you know, questions and trying to get it to do like write a transcript for me like write a script for me if that makes sense so i haven't got to that point with ai yet but there, there's a lot of interest out there and it will definitely be covering on the show as these tools emerge maybe we'll even commit a show to it next year but the uh it's an interesting time and it's like uh there's so much overlap you know with them if it's a grammar tool or a general ai or llm model um it's just very interesting times to see what's going to kind of emerge from all this. Up next, we got some uh, feedback from our friend, Shelly Brisbane. Uh, if you don't know Shelly, you totally should. Uh, she does um, amazing journalistic work in Texas, and she has a show on Relay FM called Parallel that focuses on technology, but with sort of the the sprinkles on top, as she would say, about accessibility. And she wrote in about a alternative to Plex called Cody, K-O-D-I. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. But 
it is a uh, a platform very similar to Plex, but it is all open source. It has uh, kind of the same structure where you have a local media server and then you can access that content remotely. And it has um, what's cool about it. And, and one sort of under the open source umbrella is that you can develop your own plugins for it. And so she shared that her husband wrote an add-on that plays random movie trailers based on their local library of classic films, uh, along with some other things. So uh, that's pretty sweet. You know, Plex is controlled by sort of a uh, an organization, right? They're a company behind it. And with Cody and their open source community, it's it's obviously a little bit of a different approach. So we had Casey on and focused on Plex as just part of his sort of overall media stack. So we really didn't explore Plex alternatives, but it is good to know that they're uh, at least one cool one that one of our friends likes. Yeah. Steven wrote in to complain about the lack of bootable backups in today's Mac OS era. And um, uh, he was referencing the carbon copy cloner website about Apple making it proprietary and everything they were going about it. Um, I know you have thoughts on this. How upset are you about this lack of independent bootable backups? I I really go sort of round and round on this. And so uh, some background of this is that that's, you know, Stephen wrote actually in their feedback was with recent versions of Mac OS, Apple separated the Mac OS system, like the actual OS and your data. And through the magic of APFS, they're actually on separate volumes. Now, we don't see them as separate volumes, right? If you double-click Macintosh HD, yeah, it's all in there together. But under the covers, they are separated. And they separated them years ago. And now the way that it works is that the system is a read-only volume that is cryptographically signed by Apple. And from a security standpoint, that is fantastic. That means that software you download, either meaning to or not meaning to, that they can't alter the way that your macOS installation works, right? That's a fantastic thing, I think, from a user perspective. Where it gums up the works a little bit is on things like bootable backups. And so on Carbon Copy Cloner's support site, and I'm going to have a link directly to this uh, in the show notes, it is, uh, that complicates things, right? Because those volumes are not as as approachable as they used to be. And so back in the day, you could do a bootable backup, right? So I could could have a, a FireWire drive that had my, installation of OS 10, all my data on it. If my iMac died, I could plug that into my MacBook and boot my MacBook as if it were my iMac, right? An extremely useful thing. But in macOS Big Sur and later, once they started sealing those signed system volumes, they can't be copied by non-Apple software. And that is a bummer if you rely on a bootable backup but at the end of the day, and this may be con- controversial, I think I'm okay with the trade-off. I think for most people, 
having Mac OS set up in a way that it can't be tinkered with, it can't be altered in a way that would cause issues from a security standpoint. And that's a, such a big win. Those people, including myself, who used to rely on bootable backups that like we, as a trade-off, we have to live with. I think it's helped by the fact that it's actually very easy to get a new Mac OS install up and running because you have like internet recovery and local recovery, all these things now. And because Mac OS is signed and cannot be tampered with, the need for a bootable backup is greatly diminished anyways. Really, the reason you would need this now is a hardware failure. And in the world of SSDs, we've gotten rid of like 90% of hardware failures being old spinning hard drives, right? So yeah. I think the need for bootable backups has gone down. I think the number of people who rely on them has gone down. And the security that this new system offers is better. And so, yeah, it kind of stinks. And I get it. But I think overall, I'm, I'm okay with the trade-off. I guess I'm kind of with you. I, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Even in the bad old days when I needed a bootable backup, it was always a temporary thing. Like if things went sideways on me and I had to boot from an external drive, it was only running off that external drive long enough for me to get a new internal drive formatted and the data moved over anyway. So um, it's a short term and I get, you know, the, the, the problem that it solved, I'm sure Steven would, if he were here, he would say is like, yeah, but you got it running immediately, you know, because yeah. your internal drive died, you can just, attach the bootable backup and in you know 30 seconds you're back up and running and i get that but that's not i don't do anything time sensitive enough to make that that big of a deal so yeah i I think they made the right decision overall and like you i understand it sucks i'm not trying to diminish steven's um uh complaint i think he's absolutely right but when you look at what you're getting in return i'm i'm okay with that yeah yeah, everything's going to have trade-offs, right? The second that they started locking down the system, it it meant that things were going to change. Now, could Apple have gone a middle road? We're like, yes, we are cryptographically signing and sealing Mac OS, but you can still clone your volume and make it bootable? Like, yeah, probably. But I would imagine that the either the complexity with that or the overhead that that brought, they didn't feel was worth it. And look, I still run a nightly clone of my machine every night at two o'clock. I guess, I guess every morning at two o'clock AM, my Mac wakes up, my MacBook pro wakes up. It mounts a bootable or not a bootable. Gosh, that's the whole point of this. It mounts an external drive and copies all my data over to it. And so if something happens to my MacBook pro and I have to replace it or reformat it or something, I can restore from Time Machine or I can restore from that carbon copy cloner backup. Or if my, you know, if the pod cabin gets hit by an asteroid, I can go out to Backblaze and get my data. So I'm still a fan of multiple tier backup, even if we've lost the bootability of those backups. Yeah, in fact, I'm using carbon copy cloner more than ever now that I have one primary drive. Uh, for a lot of my old backups, I used to use an app called Chronosync, which was really yeah. good at grabbing data from different places and doing comparisons and, you know, just backing up the difference. Well, um, carbon copy cloner does that even better if you've got one drive to one drive. And mm. now that I've got all my data on one drive, in addition to the 3am backup I do every day, I also have a couple spinning drives that I attach, you know, every month 
and I keep one off site and one local, but carbon copy cloner runs all of that for me. Now it, it really, it, it really is nice when you have a gross amount of data on your, on your internal drive, it makes all that stuff so much easier. But uh, we, we feel you, Stephen, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Text Expander. With Text Expander, you get your team communicating faster so they can focus on what's most important. Because with Text Expander, their knowledge is always at their fingertips. Get your whole team on the same page by getting information out of silos and into the hands of everyone who needs to use it. You can share your team's knowledge across departments so your team is sending a unified message to your customers and not spending time reinventing the wheel. So here's how it works. You store your company's most used emails, phrases, messaging, URLs, and more right within Text Expander. Then you share it, getting your whole team access to the content they need to use every day. Organize it by department and let them expand it, deploying the content they need with just a few keystrokes on any device across any apps you use. It really is that easy. Text Expander is available on Mac, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, and iPad. And I can tell you confidently, my Mac feels broken without Text Expander. I use it for all sorts of things, little things like setting dates and times for file names, but also much more important things like commonly used support phrases and URLs when I'm dealing with Relay's membership. Or a lot of things for my shows, repeating text, like in the Mac Power Users notes, we have that bit about the newsletter and the forums. I have that in Text Expander, so I can deploy it confidently each and every week. As a show listener, you will get 20% off your first year of Text Expander. So go to textexpander.com slash MPU to learn more and sign up. Once again, that's textexpander.com slash MPU for 20% off your first year. All right, Stephen, we talked a lot in the last month about window management, and that brought in uh, recommendations for apps we didn't cover and other workflows. It's uh, it's no surprise that every person listening to our voices has a different window management system, but uh, I think they're all interesting, and I like sharing them. Uh, some of the more interesting ones we had. Uh, uh, several people pointed out that we didn't cover John Syracuse's app, yeah, uh, front and, and center, including John Syracuse himself. Um, yeah, so, so John has two apps. He has front and center and Switch Glass. Uh, Switch yeah. Glass is effectively a customizable app switcher. So it's kind of like the dock, but it's also kind of like the old application menu we got in like the classic Mac OS where you could pick from all of your running apps. I think Switch Glass's strength is that you can customize it to Kingdom Come. Like all sorts of customization is available uh, with Switch Glass and you can use it with or without the dock or have your dock on one screen and switch glass on another, whatever you want. But I think front and center is the more traditional window manager. And even then it's not really a traditional window manager. Uh, what front and center does is it lets you change the way Mac OS brings apps to the front. So if I have three Safari windows open and I'm in Finder, if I click Safari, whatever window I click comes to the front. The others stay where they were. And that's the way Mac OS X has always done it, but some people want the way that the classic Mac OS did it. 
And if you if you run front and center and you have it in classic mode, then if I'm in Finder and I click any of my Safari windows, all three of them come to the front. Now, I used the classic Mac OS, but not nearly as long as John and other people. And so I'm the way that Mac OS 10 does it feels natural to me. But if it's never felt right to you, uh, then John is here to uh, to make it better. Yeah. And his apps are really nice. I, if I bought them both. I just don't use them. I've got to try and use them more. I'm sorry, John. He's on the show coming up, so we can, we can yeah, talk I, to him I about got, this. I got I to gotta get it together here. Yeah. yeah it's cool. It, you know, the, the dock location is a constant battle for me. Do you, do you struggle with where to put your dock, or do you just know where it belongs? It's always on the right, and, and that works out for me because my MacBook Pro is always open uh, on the left side of my studio display. So I don't have the yeah. issue of like, oh, it's in the middle. It's just mine's always on the right-hand side and and always visible. So it's always just hanging out over there. Well, I use multiple spaces, so it really makes more sense to keep it on the bottom. But that is some pretty valuable real estate at the same time. So it's, yeah. it's tough. I, I usually put it on the bottom and occasionally I put it on the side until it causes a problem when I'm dragging something or whatever. And then I frustratingly put it back at the bottom. Hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Okay. Um, well, there's more, though, on this stuff. There uh, is. There's a couple of open source apps that help see what space you are in via the menu bar. Um, one is called Witch Space, and the other one is called Spaceman. I didn't know about either one of these. I didn't either, and uh, they came up in the uh, the excellent uh, forum thread on this over at talk.macpowerusers.com. So which space basically gives you a little box with a number in your menu bar, and that corresponds to what desktop you're on. So if you go into mission control, you'll see like desktop one, two, three, however many you have. And then this little UI element corresponds with what desktop you're on. Now, Spaceman builds, it actually, it actually builds a top, uh, which space because they're both open source and someone just forked it and made it. Uh, a change to it. Spaceman does the same thing. So it puts a thing in your menu bar and it tells you what space you're on. But what is clever about Spaceman is that you can name your spaces. So if you have a communication space and a productivity space and a media space, you could name them and have that name show up in the menu bar. So if you wanted a little visual reinforcement of what you're supposed to be doing in that space, you can have that. And I think that's uh I think that's pretty interesting. I only use two desktops on my main display and two on my laptop display. So I, I don't get lost very easily. But if you're a big spaces user and you kind of feel yourself wandering around a little bit, the one of these two apps may may take care of that for you. I sure hope Apple like add some of these features to the shipping version something since we recorded that i've been doing a thing where i'm actually using the thing i made the most fun of during the show and that's apple's own split screen stuff uh simply because it puts the names in the in the spaces view where you can see what is what and there's a couple that i've settled on like i put messages in slack on one page together and i put music and podcasts and um, uh, you know, mail and discord. There's a couple of them that are natural pairings that I've just been leaving running. 
And I found that actually worked better than I thought. Just because I made so much fun of it on the show, I thought I should try and use mm-hmm. it. And uh, I can see where this is okay. It's, it's definitely limited, though. I mean, yeah. we, we need more of this stuff. And uh, and uh, window management is, I think, a an itch that always needs scratching. Mm-hmm. We also heard about an app called Warp. Um, it's at warpmac.com and it lets you set up different workstations with open apps and windows and choose between them quickly. Uh, you know, kind of contextual computing. Yeah. I think this has a lot of contextual computing possibilities. Uh, the way that it works, I think is, is pretty neat. So the way you set these up is you arrange your windows manually and then basically the app, you tell it, Hey, save this as a preset. So whatever apps, wherever they're on the screen, whatever's hidden, whatever's minimized, and then you can name that uh, you can name that preset and give it an icon, and then you can select them moving forward. And of course, you can edit the setups that you have. So I played with this for a bit before the show. Uh, I think it's really cool if this is the way that you work. Like I, my window management tends to be much more ad hoc than this. That's one reason I really like the way Windows does it, honestly, because I can just kind of like build up and tear things down as I need. And this is more of a, hey, I'm going into this mode. So if you're into the contextual computing, like I want these windows open this way every time I sit down to do X task, then Warp is looks like a really strong contender for that sort of, of workflow. It doesn't fit the way that I work, but I think it fits the way a lot of people want to work. And I, I think the cleverness here is, again, saving that preset based on what you've done on the screen. You know, a lot of these apps that we talked about, you kind of enter a different mode, right? Like you have a grid or you have this outline and things pop into place. Like, that's great. That's what I prefer. But if you're more visually oriented, you can lay all these out, maybe even with those other tools, and then save the whole thing as a preset altogether. Yeah, I think Warp makes sense if you're not into spaces and you just want the main screen to reconfigure itself for you. Uh, I want to dig into this a little bit. Did you see when you went through it, can I set up specific tab pages in the safari as well i don't know if it goes that far into it um i think it's mostly at the window level but you could maybe combine that you know with um things like tab groups or 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 even the uh what what is apple calling it it's profiles in chrome maybe that's what safari is calling it too but you know the different sort of profiles you can have in in your browser so this i think is basically just the window level but you could partner, you could pair it with other things for sure. Yeah, I, I still wish, I just had it in that show, but I wish that we had better um, tab view, um, mm-hmm. uh, tab group automation. I mean, we we don't have any really. Yeah. Maybe next this year. This is a good one. <laughs> I love it when the feedback teaches us new things. I mean, that's really great, you know? Me too. And, and we said it on that episode, it's impossible to round up every app and and every app category that we cover, right? We do our very best to hit as many as we can. And uh, sometimes, you know, your favorite thing falls through the cracks and that's why we have the forums, right? So we can follow up and, and and provide feedback on them later. So uh, thank you for sending those in. Um, And uh, yeah, warp looks like a, a real contender. Speaking of learning from a listener, Paul wrote in with something I had no idea. We talked about command tab, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we command tab and it goes um, left to right across your group of open apps. And then if you hold down the shift key, it goes backwards. 
which is kind of a pain, right? You got to get another finger involved. Paul wrote in to point out that if you hit the backtick key, that it goes backwards. So command backtick, which is right on top of the tab key, it goes right and left. You know, when we were researching that show, I went to the Apple um, keyboard shortcut page and to the Apple um, explanation of command tab and got all the ones we talked about on the show. This was not listed. <laughs> I don't know. This Maybe this is like a really old Mac keyboard shortcut that I just wasn't aware of and they left in. But uh, thank you, Paul. I didn't know yeah. that. And it's so much easier. And to be clear, you have to hit command tab first and then you can reach up. Because on its own, command backtick cycles through open windows in any application. So again, if you have three Safari windows open, command backtick will just cycle between the three. So, but if I hit command tab and then backtick, then I'm moving right to left. And of course, if you run your Mac in a right to left language, I don't know what happens in command tab in that situation. But it may be reversed for you. I don't know. But um, this is something that I knew. And like when we were just putting this together, it is like, wasn't in my brain. Um, it is really old, I think. I, I feel like it's been around a long time. But I use command backtick all the time because I very often will have multiple, especially browser windows open, you know, if I'm working on a couple different things at once. And I find that to be extremely useful uh, just, just on its own. But yeah, combining it with command tab saves you the, saves your shift key from wearing out. Yeah. And, um, David wrote in that he likes to trigger mission control with a hot corner. And yeah. that's where you can set in the settings, you can set hot corners to do various things. Um, I, we didn't talk about it too much because my preference is a four finger swipe up on the trackpad, but everybody's got their, their own thing. My, my concern with hot keys, frankly, is every time I, I set them or the hot corners, sometimes they just trigger when I'm not expecting them to. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's um vexing, but but yeah, hot corners are there. I'm sure there's some some u- some listeners using them to great effect. Yeah, but I, I I don't use them much. I only used one, and it's the same one I, I probably set up in like high school and just have never changed it. Top right corner for a screensaver, and I don't find that super annoying because I I don't have it require a password for like the first two minutes or whatever like the lowest one is basically. So yeah. if you have it require a password immediately. Boy, that hot corner would be annoying, but um, I I like to be able to just chunk my mouse in the upper right hand corner when I get up and the screensaver start. But yeah, I don't use it for mission control. I much prefer either F three if my hand is on the keyboard or the four finger swipe on the Magic Trackpad. Um, generally, if I'm in mission control, like you know, I'm already kind of primed to do some gestures, so I feel like that's a pretty natural thing. Yeah, and the um the hot corner to sleep. Uh, I used to use that, but since the uh, Touch ID keyboard showed up, I've disabled that because I find when I'm walking away from the Mac now, if you just press down on the Touch ID button, it um locks your computer up for you. And uh, actually, the screen goes dark almost immediately for me. That's why I can never stop using these Apple keyboards. <laughs> yeah, Touch ID is too good. You know we got all these buddies that are into these mechanical keyboards. I bought one and I finally found a use for it, but we can talk about that in a minute. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, David also mentioned uh, the shortcut snap. It was actually named the best Mac shortcut uh, by Mac stories in 2022, their automation April series. And 
This is basically it's a it's a shortcut that combines all of the window management stuff that shortcuts has to offer. But I, I think we probably said this in that episode, but I'll say it now. It's great that shortcuts has all that, but a lot of these apps go so much further and I view the shortcuts window management stuff. Like that's nice if I'm doing other things in shortcuts, like maybe I don't want to use warp. Maybe I want to set up, you know, open these apps and put them here in shortcuts. Like that's great. But the third party stuff I think is a lot more user-friendly and flexible. That article you mentioned also has the greatest meme related to you I've ever seen. Uh Oh, I haven't looked at this page in a long time. Let's see. Okay. (laughs) So it's, it's the, uh, Guy walking with uh, a woman, but he's looking at another lady who walks by. And it's me in the middle, 6,000 2019 Intel Mac Pro. And then I'm look, paying attention to when I shouldn't Mac Studio with Apple Silicon. Well, there you go, Steven. That, yeah, yeah. It's Mac stories, date, guys, they know me pretty well. It's out of date, though, because then you you dropped <laughs> the Mac Studio with Apple Silicon for another Mac. So yeah, yeah, 14-inch Mac Pro, man. It's great. You know, next week, going to Apple. I can just uh, I can just have my whole computer with me. What a concept. Yeah, I mean, if Tim runs up to you and says, quick, Steven, we need a press release from 2002, you're like, I got it, Tim. Yeah. Just open up Dev and Think and That's print right. it out. Can't do that yeah. on a secondary MacBook Air. I'm pretty sure you'll be the only one in the room that has access to that. Yeah, uh, probably. <laughs> I don't think it's going to come up. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by SaneBox. Bringing sanity to your inbox. You can sign up today for a free two-week trial and get a $25 credit. Just go to SaneBox.com slash MPU. SaneBox is like that Batman utility belt, but for your email. Anytime you have a problem with email, SaneBox probably has a tool to help you get out of it. And the beauty of SaneBox is it doesn't need to be a proprietary application. Instead, you can apply the SaneBox tool belt to any email application that you use, whether you're on Gmail or Microsoft or Apple Mail or whatever. So what are the tools on that tool belt? Well, there's things like auto sorting. So when things land in your inbox, it figures out whether it's important or not. If it's not important, it puts it aside so you don't have to be flooded with it when you wake up or the next time you check your email. It also checks for attachments and files them to your Dropbox if you want or wherever else. My favorite feature is the way I can blind copy SaneBox and it will keep up with that email. If someone doesn't reply to me, SaneBox will remind me. I used to have a really complicated task manager workflow for that. Now SaneBox does it for me. You can also defer email with SaneBox. So if you want to put it off until Saturday or next Wednesday or next month, you can do that. I often get emails from people who really want to try SaneBox, but they're nervous about the security. Well, security is a major concern for any product I personally use. So trust me when I tell you SaneBox is secure. They look at the subject line and the person that sent the email. They don't look at the contents of your email. They never take possession of your email. They never download the bodies of your email. They can only see the subject line. Even further, if their database and code base were stolen or got hacked, your credentials and email would be protected thanks to their multi-layered bank-level encryption. The CEO has gone on record saying they will be as secure as possible and they will never profit off your data. This is something that exists to be a tool to help your email, not to market you. I can tell you email for me sometimes is a challenge, but what is always a help 
is my little SaneBox Batman utility belt. And if you haven't tried it yet, you can up your email game today. Just go to SaneBox.com MPU. You get that $25 credit so you can try it for free. And when you start using it, you'll get hooked. And you won't be alone. Most Mac Power users that try SaneBox end up signing up for SaneBox because it's just so powerful. So what are you waiting for? Rescue your inbox today with SaneBox. That URL one last time is SaneBox.com slash MPU. And thank you, SaneBox, for all of your support of the Mac Power users. So we have this topic in here. <laughs> the title of it is David's Modern Typewriter. What have you done? I have a story. I have a little story to spin. In fact, I think I'm going to turn this into a YouTube video at some point because it's been a really fun experiment for me. But uh, I was talking in the labs about um, thank you notes at one point, And I was thinking, you know, it might be fun to type those. Like my handwriting's okay, but it'll be fun to send typewritten thank you notes. And then um, a labs member in the Netherlands of all places said, I have a typewriter for you if you want it, you know? So uh, for the cost of shipping, I got this typewriter sent to me. It's a, it's a German Olympia typewriter from 1955. And it's a, yeah, it's, it's, it's a trip, man, because the, the Y and the Z letters are switched because it's made for, for German folks where the, the alphabets used differently. And, um, it's, it's had, you know, it's in great shape. I don't know all the stories that have been written on it over the years, but it's kind of fun having it. And I've actually sent a few thank you notes out with it, but it got me thinking using it that, uh, I do kind of like the unitasker, no interruption method of typing, but this typewriter is great for making thank you notes. It is not something you could write a blog post on, (laughs) you know, but (laughs) the, uh, I'm just, I'm just imagining you t- using a typewriter for a blog post and then you mail it to someone on your team to put it on your on your website that would be awesome that would be awesome you know <laughs> this is the this is the minimal writing machine right i've talked about this before this like concept of like i want an old power book that i can just open text edit and write markdown in and it always fails because I, inevitably I, I need the internet yeah and so i started looking into it thinking well you know maybe this is something i need to explore more and um uh, my friend Mike Vardy has the Hemingway uh, typing device. Uh, have, you, have you seen this thing? Oh, I'm I'm well aware of this. Their Instagram ads follow me around. Oh, are they? Yeah, <laughs> they know who so I am. It, <laughs> yeah, it, it is a. Um, and first of all, you know, kudos to Hemingway for the name, right? Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's at HemingWrite.com. You know. But it's like it's kind of like a steampunk looking thing with a mechanical keyboard on it and a small LCD screen and it's got a couple levers on. They've got a couple different versions. They have like a a more compact one and a bigger one. But the idea is it's kind of like a traditional typewriter, kind of what I was talking about, like a unitasking typewriter. And then this thing has some ability to share the data over and uh, but largely, it's a if you want to just write and not be interrupted, this is kind of where you go. Um, but they're not inexpensive, right? Yeah, you know they're they're uh, you know in the six hundred dollar range. But they've got you know they've got different versions, a little less, a little more. But I thought that's a lot of money, and I, I don't think this experiment is worth that to me. <laughs> you know, the other thing is I I use mics uh, when we were at a thing together and I didn't think the keyboard was that good. You know what I mean? If oh, it's that's the be, whole point of this thing. Come on. Right. You know, it's just, well, it's, it's fine. I don't want to like 
badmouth them. I'm sure I have listeners that love them, but it didn't feel special. If that's, it's not that it was bad. It just didn't feel special. Like when I'm on this, this Olympia, it feels special when you type on that keyboard. And I don't, and also I just want to spend any money because I'm thinking about buying a 3d printer, which we're going to talk about later. Um, Mm -hmm. So I said, well, could I make one anyway? You know, could I make a modern typewriter? And the other thing that is weighing in on this is now that, you know, one field kind of shipped, I'm working, the next one is already, you know, hot on me. And I've been, actually, this next one I've been working on for like five years. I'll tell you more about it on the show in the future, but it involves a book. It has a book part of it. And I'm using the term book loosely. It'll probably be about 150 pages, but the, um, but I want to do more typing on that. And I thought, well, what, what could I do? So I've got an iPad here, right? Mm-hmm. And I've got a clicky keyboard, which I mentioned earlier, you know, and, and I thought, well, what could I do with that? You know, and obviously it's not that hard to Bluetooth pair an iPad and a, and a keyboard together, but then it's still an iPad and notifications and everything are, are coming in. So I decided to just make that, that iPad as, as dumb as possible. Right. You know, <laughs> I wanted to, I wanted to silence it from the internet, which is easy enough. You know, you just go into airplane mode and, then I wanted to, you know, turn off the notifications, turn off the everything that could interrupt me on it, and try and get it to a point where it's really just kind of like this Hemingway device. It's a screen uh, with a keyboard attached, and I have a writing desk. I have two desks. I'm I'm very um, spoiled, and so I thought, well, I've never had a digital device on my writing desk, but this is almost not a digital device at this point. So um, I turned off all notifications. I turned off um all the radios except for the bluetooth radio and i i put it on the desk i've got it on a little stand and i i've got the screen on always on mode okay so when i turn it on it's just turned on and so in the morning if i type on it usually in the morning i try to write a little bit i just leave it on all day so then when i walk past it it's just sitting there like a piece of paper and a typewriter saying hey you left off somewhere, you want to come back and continue. And you do, you sit down and you find yourself writing some more. And it's been really working out pretty good as a little thing. So I'm writing this book for this next field guide almost entirely on my little modern typewriter. I know. I love it. I mean, it makes me think about that original weird iPad keyboard dock, which is kind of the same idea, right? You put the iPad down in portrait, it had a 30 pin dock connector on it, and you could just go to town typing, uh, typing away. And, the iPad is, if you set it up correctly, which sounds like you have, it is a really good writing machine. You know, if you, I want an external keyboard, as I think most people would want, but because you can sort of pare it down and do one app full screen, and yeah, you can do that with the Mac, but there is something nice about an iPad in that in that way. I've never been super successful with it, but my writing usually involves 5,000 browser tabs and about 3,000 PDFs open because I'm doing all this research and like the iPad just isn't yeah. good good for that. But I think for the type of writing you're doing or the type of writing a lot of people want to do, yeah, having an iPad at the center of it really stripped down, no notifications, just the apps you need. I would say ideally even using an app that like auto syncs in the background so you don't have to deal with file management. That's That's compelling. Yeah, so what I do is I don't even... The sync isn't possible because it's all disconnected. Yeah, you have it in airplane mode. 
Yeah, but whenever I want to, I just turn off airplane mode and it sinks over. But then it goes back to being, a, you know, a typewriting, a modern typewriter. Yeah. I went ahead and shared a picture with you. We can put it in the show notes. And, and the picture, I've got it unplugged. But usually during the day, I have the, the thing plugged in so it uh, it just can keep the screen on all day. And And that was a little touch to it that I didn't really think about doing initially, but I really like. It, it seems to really like, there's something attractive, almost magnetic about it when it's sitting there looking at you. Mm-hmm. I, I do get that. Like when people would leave a piece of paper in their typewriter, um, finding an app, that was a challenge for me. Like the first thing I did was I said, well, you know, Tom Hanks, he's the big fancy typewriter guy. Uh, and he has an app called Hanks writer. So I tried that for a few days and it's too clever. If mm-hmm. you know what I mean, it's like, it wants to be like a typewriter on your iPad and they even have like on-screen keyboards that look like old typewriters. And uh, they they go to great effort to give you a typewriter-like experience on something that just isn't a typewriter. Uh, and I just felt like it was just too clever. It wasn't for me. I have been using drafts because that's always my, my main app of choice for writing text. But I've also tried AI Writer for this. I bought an AI Writer license a couple of years ago and um, I do like their their native font. Yeah, uh, totally I would good. like to. I'd like to try and figure out how to get drafts to, to match that font. I haven't figured yeah. it out so yet. But I, I writer they have those fonts of, or at least they used to. They have those fonts available for download, so you can use them anywhere. Oh, really? I should check that out. But it's it's really kind of nice. And so you know, I'm just using this clicky keyboard. I think. I'm going to go like harder on this and put at some point some even firmer switches in it, mm-hmm. you know, just like just embrace it for what it is because I've always felt a little guilty owning this. Key- I had a couple of these keyboards and I gave them away, but I kept one and now I think I found a use for it and it works just fine. I can keep my Apple keyboard in front of my Mac where I've got touch ID and the dictation button and a bunch of stuff that's not on these other keyboards. But, um, but yeah, it's it's been working out pretty good, and uh, you know I think I've got something like about twenty thousand words written on it in the last few weeks, so it's 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 good, and uh, it's fun to work at that desk with a typewriter, you know. <laughs> I don't know yeah. how to put it, and I'll go back to my uh, my Mac, and there'll be notifications and messages and things out there waiting for me. But while I was at the little modern typewriter, it worked just fine. I think this is very. Um, I think this is very bespoke. It's kind of um, entitled nerdiness. Not everybody has a job where they could set up a modern typewriter and mm-hmm. they have distractions ignored. But if you do, <laughs> um, and if you've got an old iPad around, it, it really it doesn't cost much to set the thing up. As long as you've got a keyboard and an old iPad, um, you're good to go. This is not taxing to the iPad at all. I mean, yeah. you're running a word processor on it, or I guess a text editor, not even a word processor. And, uh, but it's it's kind of a fun experience. I'd recommend giving it a try. If you do try it out, let me know. Yeah, I've got that picture in the show notes, but I, I think you should make a video out of this. I think I think people should be able to see it that way. I've got it. If you look at that picture really close, you see the first couple paragraphs of a script. Awesome. This episode of MPU is brought to you by ZocDoc. Have you ever been on the hunt for a new doctor and you ask everyone you know for the recommendation? I mean, it makes sense. You want a doctor that gets you, listens to you, and makes you feel super comfortable. Finally, after weeks of searching, you find the one. They meet all your requirements and then some. 
So you call their office and they have an appointment available. Then you find out they don't take your insurance. Don't worry. Head over to ZocDoc to find and book the perfect doctor for you and one who takes your insurance. ZocDoc is a free app where you can find amazing doctors and book appointments online. We're talking about booking appointments with thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed doctors and specialists. You can filter specifically for those who take your insurance, are located near you, and treat almost any condition you're searching for. These doctors all have verified reviews from actual real patients, not robots. The average wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between just 24 and 48 hours. That's it. Some days, you can even get same-day appointments. Once you find the doctor you want, you can book them with just a few taps immediately. No more waiting awkwardly on hold with the receptionist. I love this service because it is really hard and challenging to find a new doctor. Maybe you've got something new going on in your life, or you've moved, or you made some other change. ZocDoc is a great way to get your healthcare back on track. Go to ZocDoc.com MPU to download their app for free, then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C, ZocDoc.com slash M-P-U. All right. We always try to finish up uh, before a big Apple event with some rumors. Uh, We always focus on this show being signal over noise. Uh, In this case, we make an exception usually heading into the iPhone event because it's (laughs) fun to talk about the rumors. And as this show drops, we've got a few days left. Uh, there may be some shocking news dropping even be, between the time we record this episode and the time it drops, but I think we've got a pretty good handle on what's coming. So mm-hmm. why don't we just jump through it now? If you're, if you like surprises at the Apple event, you don't want to hear it, then I would recommend you go ahead and skip to the next bit in the, uh, in the chapter markers, but uh, let's, let's get into all this Apple stuff and what we think we're going to see. Yeah. If you want to hear a lot more, Last week's Connected 465, I went through all of these with Mike and Federico like for an hour and a half. So there's a lot more. Uh, and on Upgrade, they've been tracking these as well. But let's start with the Apple Watch. Histor- historically, we should say, yeah. with rare exceptions, the September event is iPhone, an Apple Watch, and sometimes an accessory or a service thrown in there too to round it out. But I feel like iPhone and Apple Watch feel like a lock. Um, we'd be looking at the the Series 9. Yeah, and historically, they start with a the watch. They end with the yeah. phone. Yeah, the, phone's the, the yeah. phone is the, you know, the band you came to see. And the Apple Watch is the opener, which has its own fans. Some people show up for the opening band, but, you know, we're here for the headliner. Uh, the Series 9 seems like it's going to be uh, like the Series, I would say, 7 and 8. Probably... Uh, not a super compelling update. One thing that I think is floating out there is that the main Apple Watch line has used basically the same system on a chip for two or three years now. And so that may be looking uh, at a revision this year. There's a story yeah. out there that the Apple Watch Series 10 is going to be a, a pretty big year for the Apple Watch hardware. So this one I think is going to look pretty much how the seven and eight look and you know, they'll, they'll remix some new finishes and maybe some new bands in there. But I think the Apple watch series nine is, is going to be the watch you get to upgrade from a, a series four or a five or six. And if you have a seven or or an eight, I think it's probably not that huge of a, of a bump. Yeah. Agreed. 
Agreed. This is the one they need to deliver. Um, if the rumors are true about next year, the, the 10 being the big change, this will be the last of, of this model. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. There's no rumors of NSE that I've heard. So I, I don't think we're going to get an updated Apple Watch SE this year. No. And the SE has been an every other year at least. And it just got an update. So I think the SE will just sit. I would like to see the SE get a price cut because I, I think it's still too expensive. So maybe we would see that. But if you're in the market for an Apple Watch SE, like a new one, I don't, I don't think there's going to be anything for you in, uh, in a few days. Yeah. The Ultra um, this year, uh, they'll be back with a version two. And the rumors act like that's a surprise. To me, that is expected. I feel yep. like the Ultra is part of the line now, and I feel mm-hmm. like we should get an update for it every year. And um, the uh, there's no rumors of a small one. That's the the question I get the most from listeners and readers is like, do you think they'll make a small one? I've seen nothing to indicate they will. There's a lot of people out there with smaller wrists that want the Ultra Watch, the action button, and the additional features, but the, the size is the limiting factor for them. Um, my guess is battery life is really the problem. Like the ultra is sold to be a long-term watch, you know, that you can use mm-hmm. over multiple days and hiking and you get much smaller case. The battery life is going to pay a price. I think that's exactly right. Uh, I expect the, the Apple watch ultra two will get whatever system on a chip update comes to the series nine, if any, and maybe a new dark titanium finish which I know some people would be interested in, maybe to match a darker titanium iPhone Pro, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. But the, the Ultra is a year old. I think it's definitely going to get an update. It, it's silly to me. They would let it sit. What are they going to do? Like rev it at 18 months or two years? That doesn't make any sense to me for their most expensive Apple Watch. I'm not looking to update my Ultra. I'm super happy with this watch. Mine is still in great shape. The battery life is in great shape. So I'm sitting out this year on the Apple Watch. Yeah, I, I, I'm very curious how you make black or dark titanium. Like, is it a coating? Oh, is it? Oh, I can tell you all the about titanium? this. I can tell because upgrade went through this whole thing. Uh, you can anodize titanium. It's a slightly different methodology than anodizing okay. aluminum, but it can be anodized. So, oh, that's good. It should so be. So it's not going to scratch off. Yes. Yeah. The, when people think, oh, oh, gosh, they're going to paint it like they did the titanium power book 20 years ago. No, 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 no. Like, this would be anodized. This is not a coating or a painting. It's not quite like the stainless steel PVD coating, in my understanding. You know, that's like a, a totally different process, but it would be anodized in a similar fashion to Apple's aluminum Apple watches. Well, like you, I love my Ultra Watch. When I did that survey from Max Barkey and, the, and from the newsletter, you know, 1,100 respondents, 20% of them own Ultra, and they all love it. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a very – people that buy it, once you separate the money out of it, it is a very satisfying watch. That extra action button makes a difference. Even the Wayfinder faces that it gets are just really nice. And, mm-hmm. you know, I got in a lot of trouble with Johnny last year complaining about the faces, <laughs> right? So. I, I just feel like it's a it's a great watch, and I'm glad that they're going to make a dark one. Hopefully, at some point, they'll make a smaller one, but uh, I would like to see this continue. I was talking to a friend of the show, Liana Lehua, over the weekend, who is a very active person. She hikes and does all that, and she, she's been seriously looking at the Ultra versus something like a Garmin. 
And she was telling me the Garmin now has a thing on it where they put like a solar band around the face hmm. that helps kind of keep the the watch charge when you're on long hikes. And she was saying, man, if Apple adds a solar band to the Ultra, then Garmin is going to be in big trouble. But I, I don't think they're going to go that far. I think uh, Apple's idea is, you know, bring a battery if you're gone for more than a couple of days. Yeah. And they got the low power mode. Like they're doing what they can without fundamentally changing the product. Yeah. And it's a big difference between a Garmin hiking watch and, a, and an Apple yeah, yeah. Uh, Ultra watch. Either way, uh, yeah, I agree with you. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing it, the new dark one if it's indeed coming. Like you, I'm totally happy with mine. Not going to be, I'm, I'm giving that money to St. Jude this year. But mm-hmm. the, uh, but yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. I do want to say, though, that I think one area the Apple Watch Ultra has been a little bit of a letdown is in the band selection. Now, you can put any Apple Watch band that's of the bigger two sizes on an Ultra. I think it looks yeah. a little bit weird. And I have one of each style of Apple Watch Ultra Band now. And they they haven't revised the colors and they haven't had any other options. And so that, I think that that could be one way that they say, hey, you know, the Ultra 2 is here. Maybe the default band is the same, but maybe they have some other options. I think that there's clearly there's room there. But at the same time, there's also rumors that Apple's looking to remove leather from its lineup. So leather Apple watch straps and leather iPhone cases may be going away as we speak. And so that may limit some of what they would do there. But I think there is room for them to continue to, to push on bands that are really made and, and fit really well with the Ultra, both in terms of fashion and how it looks, but also sort of the idea like, more rugged, more tough, you know, that, that sort of thing. Yeah. The, um, and the rumor is that we're going to get, uh, like a fancy fabric and magnetic buckle in mm-hmm. lieu of leather. So that I will be curious to see that. And that would be for any of the Apple watches, not just the, the ultra, but even the old, I think the ultra watch band choices they made are pretty cool. The rubber one, the, yeah. like the, the, um, the light, velcro one and i don't know what you call the other one the one with all the loops on it the, like the yeah, orange trail one loop, i think yeah and my orange trail loop got filthy but i just finally got frustrated with it and i sat there one day and watched youtube for like 30 minutes with some dawn dish soap at the sink and mm-hmm. now it looks almost new i mean you can clean it it just takes <laughs> some work but yeah i'd like to see them make even just more color variations of the ones that of the the styles they have would be would be nice yeah yeah, I'd like to see that. Uh, I have a link in the show notes. Uh, our friend John at Mac Stories wrote a piece basically saying this last month, and I think that piece has a lot of good points. All right, so let's do an interlude before the iPhone on the AirPods. All right, AirPods are actually in really good shape now. They've got, you know, the AirPods Pro in particular are amazing. Um, they've got, I, I think all the AirPods are going pretty good, except they all have a lightning port on the case. And that may be something that is going away at this point where I guess we'll tip our hand that the, one of the big pieces of the iPhone is it's going to get USB-C instead of uh, lightning. So yeah. we're going to get an AirPod case with a lightning as well. Yeah, I think that's all we would see from AirPods. The AirPods Pro 2 aren't that old, but they did this before when they added wireless charging to the phone they also created a wireless charging case and you could upgrade your airpods or you could just buy the case right and swap them into the new case 
And so I think I think we would we would definitely see that. You know, the only other thing I can kind of point my finger at is like AirPods Max are hanging out there. They've never been updated. They're too expensive for what they are, probably. I don't know what's going on with that product. <laughs> Maybe that gets some attention too, but who knows? Yeah, I mean, it is the time of the year because I mean, the other thing, in addition to being new new phones, it's you know we're headed towards the holidays, so a lot mm-hmm. of times stuff like that does get announced now as well. Yeah, but let's get to the let's get to the main act here: the iPhone, uh, iPhone Pro. Uh, the rumor is it's going to get titanium to match the uh, the Ultra Watch. Yeah, and I think critically it would weigh less. Uh, the steel yeah. is heavy and I think it would not only make the phone lighter, which would be great. It's definitely something I want, but it would change the appearance of the phone as well. Right. We've had sort of this look now really since the iPhone 10, it was the first one with the stainless steel sides and yeah, they've flattened it out and, you know, made it square edges again. These may be actually slightly rounded again. You know, they slowly just move between round edges and square edges. But titanium, I think, would be a, a, a nice material improvement to the Pro phones. Bring the weight down, especially in a year where it's rumored that at least the Pro Max or the big phone would be getting something akin to a periscope lens. So you could really have a long throw optical zoom option. Those cameras add weight. And batteries are heavy in big phones. And so anything they can do to offset that is more than than welcome here. Now, what the colors are going to be, how exciting the colors are going to be, who knows? Apple's never done a particularly exciting job on the pro phone colors. And while titanium can be anodized, are they going to be conservative with that the first go out? I don't know. But I'm uh, excited yes. about Yes, excited I'll about tell you right now. <laughs> this year's iPhone Pro is going to have boring colors, and the iPhone Pro three years from now is also going to have boring colors. <laughs> they have they have beat me into submission on this. I don't know. They put the fun colors on the iPhone, and they put the boring colors on the iPhone Pro. Yeah, yeah. One of the big rumors is the new color is going to be gray. Yeah, <laughs> you know? Titan I mean, gray, I think, is the the rumor uh, name. Yeah, whatever. And honestly, I'll probably get it because I actually like gray. But the um, but man, wouldn't it be nice if we got like uh, some some nice vivid colors on our iPhone mm-hmm. Pros? But no, I, yeah. I think it's gonna be. In fact, if the rumor are right, what it's like? There's like a white one, like a base gray one, a blackish one, and a, just a gray one. It's like three three shades of black or gray yeah. and white. You and know? No, so it's no gold, which is going to make some people sad. Yeah, the gray is supposedly replacing the gold. And so yeah, it's that that's a bummer, but over I am very happy about the titanium switch. I think lighter is better and I just for some there's something that feels to me richer about titanium. I love it on my watch. I think I'll love it on my phone too. Um, it'll be hard for me to put a case on it. The um, the other rumor about this, the iPhone Pro Max, is that it's going to get a periscope lens. Mm-hmm. And for those of you who never heard the term before, you know the problem with these phones is they're so thin, right? And so you've got the lens, which usually pokes out a bit. You know they've got that lens kind of bump on them, and then you've got the sensor behind the lens, which captures the image and. You know, there's physics involved, and the more distance you can put between the the end of the lens or the front of the lens and the sensor, that gives you a lot more power, especially for zooming. Mm-hmm. 
well, if you only have a quarter of an inch or so there, um, the, uh, it's not much space. So a periscope is the idea of where, where the sensor would be inside the phone. Instead, you have, a, I guess, a 45-degree mirror. Yeah. And then it shoots down a tube. And further down in the phone, you've got the sensor pointing up towards the top, like a periscope. And with that, you could get a much better uh, zoom lens. And mm-hmm. the rumor is we're going to get a zoom lens in this thing on a periscope lens. It's going to be have a lot further reach than three times and be better quality. Yeah, and we've seen this. Some Samsung phones have this, I think, to a, a pretty great effect. My questions are like, will we still have two or three X as an optical option, and then you know five or six, or are they just going to skip over that range? Like, there may be some weird middle ground there that we lose. But well, I think you could crop it, maybe. You know, and that's that's more. how they do two X now. Is two X yeah. is actually cropped? Um, but all of us have taken pictures of you know, our kids playing soccer or something at a, some other sports event, or we're at a fair or a, you know, parade or something. We zoom in really far. We take the picture and we look at it and it's like a blurry mess of pixels, right? Because we're, we're so far out beyond the end of optical zoom using digital zoom. And I assume there will still be digital zoom past whatever this periscope can do, but the further in you can get with optical it's going to look a thousand times better and only being on the big phone. It's a bit of a bummer if you don't want the big phone, but I think there's two reasons for that one that they can absorb the cost a little bit better, but uh, this thing is also going to take up space in a phone, right? You're talking about a little yeah. tube of light going through the phone and yeah. uh, the pro max, you know, has the most available space. And so it does look like this is going to be one of those years. And we have them every once in a while where the two, Pro phones or two phones in general have different cameras, right? They've done that before and they've not done it other years. This looks like it's going to be one of those, those years where if you want the best possible overall camera system, you're going to be getting the biggest phone, which is fine by me. I carry the biggest phone now and really like it, but that is, that is going to be a point of contention for people buying. I know that uh, our friend Casey has said this, that he's pretty over the years been pretty against carrying the biggest size phone is like, if this is as good as it we think it could be, you know, it may push him up a size category. So I think that is that will be something people have to contend with. Yeah, well, he has kids, so like the zoom lens is is helpful. It's huge and man. The, <laughs> the standard lens has always been good on the iPhone, and it just gets better every year. But I've always felt like the zoom, the delta between the zoom and the standard lens is so noticeable that yes. I almost never use the zoom lens. Mm-hmm. And uh, this, I think, might might shrink that delta to the point where zoom lens is something that you're, you're happy to use. Yeah. And even if it means that you don't get the three X, you've got to crop down to it. I, I am totally okay with that. I'm, I, I, uh, I hope this is for real. Cause I, I've been reading about periscope lenses for like five years and I've always wanted the iPhone to have one. Mm-hmm. So I hope, uh, I hope this is the first of many periscope lenses that the iPhone gets in the coming years. Now you are, if I remember correctly, you are not using the Pro Max this year. You know, I'm kind of agnostic. I I've used the Pro Max on some years, and I've used the standard ones on other years. And the way we do it in our families, I just hand it down. Mm-hmm. You know, my kids never, and my wife never get new phones. I always get the new one, but then they kind of work their way through the system. 
And uh, so they sometimes influence me. Dad, I'd really like the standard one. I don't want the big one, so mm-hmm. I'll get the standard one one year. When when they have parity, I'll usually get the standard size one so the kids can see it. Uh, to tell you the truth, I've got the the max this year. I I prefer the max. I've I've kind of come around on it. I I read it enough that that extra screen, the extra pixels help. And uh, in the mid fifties, uh, you know, being able to read text on a bigger screen is easier. So I, I'm generally would buy the pro max every time. Although once in a while, my kids get to me and I buy the smaller one for a year and I don't hate that either. They're, they're fine. Uh, but it, if the camera is better on the bigger one, I will always buy that one that year. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm pumped. I think it's going to be great. Yeah. I mean, it fits in my pocket. It's fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, standby, it looks even better as a standby screen because it's a little bigger, you know, so. I don't know. I'm I'm fine with the big one and and uh, periscope lens. Sign me up. I'm in periscope lens plus titanium. It's kind of a big year. We didn't mention that the bezels are supposed to be smaller too, so that'll be nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could be really. Uh, it could be a cool year for the iPhone. Yeah, for the Pro. How about the regular iPhone? It looks like the regular phone will retain the aluminum. It's going to retain the basic design of the uh, the outgoing 14, but it will get the dynamic island as opposed to the notch. So it'll look new with the dynamic Island and pick up those software features, which I think is enough. Um, I think they're also going to do the thing where the new processor goes in the pro phone and the old processor goes down to the standard phones. I think they will continue to do that. And I think that's fine. I think most people don't ever think about what's in their phones because they're all fast enough all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And I, I just think that's going to be the new thing, right? Mm -hmm. Especially because another thing we didn't mention is it's supposed to be a three nanometer processor and the pro, which is smaller, which means it uses less power, but it's more powerful. So yeah, I think Apple would rather just make those for the pro phones and not have to make them for all of the gazillion phones they're going to make this year. Okay, we mentioned earlier USB-C. So yeah. Apple has had lightning ports in the iPhone for a long time. 10 years, I guess. Yeah, uh, you have 11 in the at this point. 11, yeah. All right, so it's, it seems like just yesterday. I, I hated that 30-pin connector. Old timers listening to the show will remember it was the world's worst connector. Um, I felt like it would be more useful as a weapon than a connector. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then also it had like you had to get it in right side. Not you know there was a wrong way to put it in. Yeah. It was just a terrible connector. Yeah, I mean it came it it debuted on the iPod in two thousand and three. Like it was old when they you know it wasn't old when they put it on the first iPhone in two thousand seven. But the time they got rid of it with the iPhone five moving to Lightning, it was old. And Lightning brought so many obvious improvements obviously way smaller connector but the biggest thing was the thing was reversible you didn't have to worry about plugging it in right way up it was it was great and yet and yet everybody lost their freaking minds i i remember i mean i had because everybody in my family knows i i love apple stuff and they were calling me up your Apple is making me spend money to buy cables. This Uh is a money grab, blah, blah, blah. And it was on the news. And it's like people went crazy. The lightning port was better than that 30 pin connector in every conceivable way. And people still lost their minds. So I'm wondering, Stephen, are we getting ready to go into that again? 
Yes, but not to the same degree. I think there will be people who find this annoying because they've got to replace the cable in their car or whatever. But I think it's less of a big deal for two and a half reasons. Um, The first big reason is that we already have USB-C in the world. USB-C has been on the Mac since 2015. It's been on the iPad since 2018. It's been on a bunch of Android phones since the mid to, you know, 2015, 2016 era. USB-C is everywhere. Lightning was brand new and only Apple's iPhone used it. Now, eventually it came to the iPad and, you know, the last couple of iPods, like they eventually got there and now it's on the keyboards and mice and everything else. But on day one, your iPhone used this weirdo proprietary connector from Apple and nothing else used it. But now we got a USB-C on a bunch of things. So I think that's the big reason is USB-C is already out in the world, has been out in the world for whatever it is, seven or eight years, and it's been great. Yeah, and you can buy the cables at a convenience store. You don't have to get them from Apple. Yeah. I mean, that I think that helps. Yeah, and you know, you'll, you'll probably get a USB-C cable in the box. Um, second reason, I think that it's less of a big deal, is that people don't plug in their phones as much as they used to, right? We have wireless charging. We have MagSafe. We have wireless CarPlay. We have iCloud backup. And I don't know the last time I plugged my phone into a computer. It's been years. Now, I know that's not true for everybody. I know there are people who back up to, or back up to Finder or still sync manually. Like, I get it. But the number of people who do that is smaller and smaller every year. And really what this has become is a power plug, not data. Now, the reason I said two and a half, the half reason is cars, right? That a lot of people charge with a wire or use wired CarPlay. Even in my truck that has wireless CarPlay, I prefer wired CarPlay because the wireless charger in my truck stinks and uh, wireless wired CarPlay is still faster. Like it's, it, there's less of a lag when you're trying to do something. So my truck has a wireless charger, but it's not a horizontal one where you lay the phone down. It's at like a, I haven't measured it, but it's at like a 60 degree angle. And so if you go over a bump, or you turn, the phone moves a little bit because it's not resting on the charger and there's no magnets, right? It's just, it's just chi charging. It's not MagSafe. And the phone moves a little bit. And then you get across town and your phone hasn't been charging. I, I've really found it to be frustrating. But a lot of cars have USB-A or USB-C ports. So if it's got a USB-C port, you just put your new cable in your car and you're good to go. So you might have to buy one cable for your car. So I think most of the complaints are going to be on the philosophical level, like, oh, Apple's always doing this. Never mind that it was 11 or 12 years ago. Oh, Apple doesn't wants me to spend more money, even though there's probably a cable in the box. So I think there will be backlash, but I think it will be lessened from what it was. And so I personally am extremely psyched about this. I cannot get, I cannot wait to ditch lightning for my life. It's going to be a little while because I use Apple's keyboard and trackpad and like I'm not going to go out and replace those with USB-C versions. But next time I need a keyboard, I will. But that's no big deal. I can keep a lightning cable in my desk drawer. But when I travel, you know, my whole system can go to USB-C. I can put a USB-C cable in my car. Now, where I will personally find it frustrating is that um, in my wife's car, it is only wired CarPlay. And I drive her car, you know, a fair amount. Now, 
her phone, she doesn't care about wired versus wireless CarPlay. So like I have her phone set up in my truck just to be wireless, but I'm going to have to stash a USB-C cable in her car to use with my phone because she's on an iPhone 13 mini and refuses to give it up until the universe makes her because she likes the small form factor. So I will have one lightning phone and one USB-C phone to contend with. And I guess in those environments, it's going to be annoying. But as an individual, I'm psyched about this. Yeah, it just occurred to me because my wife and I share a car and it has wired CarPlay. Yeah. And so this year she's getting my old phone, which is a lightning phone. Mm -hmm. So if I want to run CarPlay when I drive, I'm going to have to switch the cable. Yeah. And every time I get to my destination, I'm going to need to switch it back. It needs yes. to be for her a thing where she never has to change the cable. That's on you, or dude. She's com- or she's you coming for it. me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I just realized that. So that's going to be inconvenient. Um, yeah. You said you said you want to travel just lightning. Does that mean that you're going to buy the new uh, AirPod or whatever? Or just, case? just USB-C? Uh, probably. I mean, I want to I, I want to rip the Band-Aid off. And when, so I know a lot of people like... Like, I love MagSafe, but when I am traveling, very often, if I'm, especially my phone, I'm in my room for 30 minutes to eat lunch. Yeah, you need charging faster. As yeah. fast as I can get it. And so yeah. I don't travel with any wireless charging stuff. It's all, it's like a multi, actually the thing you talked about where it's a, it's a wall multi-plug thing, but it's also a battery thing is brilliant. Yeah. And uh, that's all USB, you know, no, no wireless for me when I travel. So uh, yeah, I will do the AirPods case just so I can fully ditch lightning out of my travel kit. Well, my guess is I'll, it'll take me a couple of years to kind of transition to all the USB-C stuff. But with the lightning phone still in the family, in the cars, it's going to be a pain in the neck. for There's going to be a, a rough transition. This means that next year I need to convince my kids to let me give my iPhone 15 to my wife because it'll make my life easier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's going to be a tough sell, I think. But yeah, that's coming down the road for me. <laughs> well, it sounds like a big year for the iPhone Pro in particular. It does. And I, I can't wait to see it. And you're going to be in the room. You get your hands on it. You can share it with the audience uh, very shortly thereafter. So we, we've got a lot to talk about next week. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Electric. Unbury yourself from IT tasks and get a free pair of Beats Solo 3 wireless headphones when you schedule a meeting. Just go to electric.ai slash MPU. When leading your small business, it's not all glamour. In fact, sometimes it's a matter of spending hours onboarding an employee, which you're well-equipped to deal with, but maybe you don't have the time. The team over at Electric knows small businesses, maybe like yours, face these challenges. That's why they're on hand to help with the time-consuming parts of your business, like standardized device security with best-in-class device management software, so you can implement best practices across the board and be ready to scale, and employee onboarding and offboarding done for you, saving you an average of eight hours per request. That's a lot of time, gang. Plus, Electric will help you keep a single point of visibility into your IT environment to control your devices, networks, and applications while simplified reporting allows you to achieve and maintain compliance, and proactive IT recommendations and automated workflows make IT easy to manage for even non-technical users. And if you're hearing this and you think your company could use some of these services, but you're not sure where to start, Electric's experts will guide you through the process of establishing standardized IT practices for your organization. 
I know what you're thinking. You're a Mac power user. You can handle this. You can onboard people. You can set up their Macs. And that's great that you can, but that doesn't mean that you should. It's really a problem when you're trying to run your business and you try to double as your IT person. You need to spend your time making the big decisions and not setting up Microsoft Word. Boy, there's times in my career I sure could have learned that lesson, and you should too. So for Mac Power users listeners, Electric is offering a free pair of Beats Solo 3 headphones for taking a qualified meeting. Just go to electric.ai slash MPU. That's electric.ai slash MPU. Go there now to get your free pair of Beats Solo 3 headphones for scheduling a qualifying meeting. And our thanks to Electric for their support of the Mac Power users. So let's wrap up with some things that we are playing with. And you've been over there building a typewriter, but I've been busy. Yeah, I know. (laughs) uh, (laughs) I have been busy rebuilding my media setup directly after that episode with Casey uh, a few weeks ago. Oh, did he get to you? He did. So I had, uh, for years, I've had a Mac Mini under our TV for a couple of reasons. I do it for uh, Time Machine server stuff uh which uh i actually wrote a blog post about this past week i've put in the show notes but i use it for a dvd player because my kids still some watch some things on dvd and i like having an always on mac it's just useful to do that especially now that i'm a laptop laptop. user full-time at work and sometimes my laptop is in my backpack overnight and maybe i need something to happen so i replaced my 2018 mac mini which was like the base model uh, actually bought an M1 Mac Mini from Jim Metzendorf, the editor of this very program. Hello, Jim. Um, <laughs> I bought it from him months ago, and it's just been sitting because I was like, I, eventually I was going to swap it out under the TV, and I just couldn't find time. I was like, okay. We talked about media management. I've got this Mac Mini sitting in a box. Now is the time. So there's a photo in the show notes you can look at. I just went to town. So I have this M1 Mac Mini which I think is a base model. It doesn't have very much storage, but it's fine for my needs because I'm using everything externally. Yeah, you have plenty of storage attached. I'll just yeah, tell you uh, for yeah, that this is, is spoiler. Uh, eight, tw- uh, 12 and a half terabytes of storage attached to it. So Yeah, so you've got, I see you have 500 gigabyte Samsung SSD, mm-hmm. I think. All right. Yeah. Then you've got some OWC gear. I don't know what's in those. Yeah, each one of those has a four terabyte SSD in it. Oh man. Nice. So, nice. uh, I had some SSD and I know, I know how this sounds, but I had some SSDs on the shelf for my Mac pro days that yeah. I sort of consolidated stuff when I went to the eight terabyte SSD on my laptop. And so yeah. these like literally were just sitting in a drawer. I was like, okay, I have these. And I wanted to, I had set up Plex a long time ago and for our episode, I got back into it and it was just, um, it was a mess in there. So I said, you know what? I'm going to start over. So I, I installed Plex from scratch on this new Mac Mini. And I finally did the thing that I've wanted to do for years. I took my just mountain of Apple videos from that I've downloaded over the years. And I put them all on Plex. Now, there's, I think there's like 2,500 items in there. I have so much organization work to do. But I'm just going to chip away at it, you know, little by little to get things in playlists and metadata and all that stuff right. But that's living on one of those SSDs uh, that gets cloned nightly using Carbon Copy Cloner, and it gets backed up to Backblaze. And then 
uh, one of the other enclosures has a four terabyte SSD in it that I set up for remote time machine for the two laptops that my kids use for homework and schoolwork. And, you know, they're not going to plug in a drive, right? But yeah, like, I can set up the only way to do the backup is yeah. remote time machine for <laughs> do it over the network. Um, so all that is, is set up and it's running through the, a five port OWC Thunderbolt hub, which I had not come across before, but, uh, this hub was 129 bucks. All Thunderbolt stuff's expensive. That's cheap actually for a Thunderbolt hub. Yeah, but it's exactly what I needed. So it's four Thunderbolt yeah. USB-C ports, a couple of USB-A's and 60 watt charging, which I, I don't actually need, but, um, it's pretty awesome. So I can just have all those SSDs plugged into this thing. And it's, it's pretty small. You can see it in the picture. Now, what you don't see in the picture is the ginormous power brick that this Thunderbolt hub requires. Yeah. That, that is so hilarious with all these hubs. Like the hub itself is really tiny and sexy looking. And then it's got this power brick that literally is like the size of a brick. Yeah. Even my TS4 that I'm talking to you talking to you through right now enormous power brick um but all that set up and of course i got my you know my super drive there for dvds and um it's all set up and running and it it's in a cabinet but it generates basically no heat so i'm not i'm not worried about you know anything cooking the old mac mini was in there with spinning hard drives so i as part of this retired the last spinning hard drives i had in service that were uh, hooked up to the this Mac Mini previously, so all SSD, all Thunderbolt, USB C, all nice and neat, and I'm uh, I'm really happy with it. It's a really nice looking setup. I I just cannot get excited about Plex. I just don't I don't watch enough media for it to matter. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it it doesn't. I don't use it the way Casey does, where like his, that's basically TV in the list household. But I wanted a a place to put my Apple videos that was not just a finder folder. And, you know, eventually like when it's all organized and nice, I'll be able to go through there and find what I'm looking for. And, and that is exciting to me, even though I have a mountain of work to make it happen. So it's not becoming TV for me. I'm not radically changing the way I consume media, but it's going to be in addition to those other things. I have to laugh a little bit though, because back in the day, like, you know, over 10 years ago, I had set up something like that with a Drobo mm -hmm. for, so we could get all the Barbie princess movies on it for my girls. Right. Back yeah, in the, yeah. when the kids are little, they watch TV, they'll watch the same movie a hundred times. Yes, they will. Um, and you know, my kids are past that. So when you, when I saw this, I was thinking now oh, Steven's going to have a great, like, you know, I don't know, you know, whatever, you know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle collection or something on it. And then he gets on the show. He's like, well, I got all my Apple videos on. Yeah. I mean, we <laughs> we definitely have. So so the, the Plex SSD also houses the legacy iTunes account, which has basically just full of purchased movies and TV shows. And we have a lot of that stuff. And they do still watch stuff, even though mine are a little bit older now. They still watch things repeatedly. But the difference is my kids are growing up squarely in the streaming era and your kids were just before it, I think. And, or at least the way that it is now. Right. So like if my kids want to watch a Pixar movie, they don't even go to the iTunes library. They just go to Disney plus cause I pay for Disney plus and it all streams there. So that is, I think changed uh, pretty rapidly for a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, that's even in my own habits. Like if I want to watch the star Wars thing, I watch it on Disney plus, even though I have it, I've mm -hmm. paid for it, you yeah. know? And, uh, 
but I don't watch enough to justify setting up a Plex server, but I, I'm glad you did it because we need one of us to be kind of deep in this media stuff because it comes up on the show occasionally. Well, my um, the thing I'm playing with this, this month is, of course, the modern typewriter. But there is one other thing that I just bought I wanted to share, which um, I don't know if the audience will have any respect for me after I share publicly <laughs> that I bought this thing. Um, you know, the guy who wrote the book called Paperless. But uh, there's a company called Ugmunk. And yeah. last year I got some of their what they call analog cards. They're um, just index cards you can write your tasks on. And I, the people in the labs know all about this. I've made videos for them about it. But the, um, I still use OmniFocus, but I like to put the stuff I'm doing that day on an index card and put it in front of me. And I find that it takes very little time to do that, but having it on the card kind of makes it more likely that it'll all do the stuff that's on the card. And so I, I found it actually really a, a useful practice, these analog cards. Well, they just announced a new product called Analog Weekly Cards, and the weekly cards are just what it sounds like. It's a little, it's like two index cards on their side, you know, so it's kind of wider than it's tall, but it's got a little annotation for five days and two weekend days. And just at the beginning of the week, I can say Tuesday, you know, 1600 record Mac power users and Wednesday, you know, 1100 Mac Sparky labs thing. And, you know, so I, I just, put my big ticket items for the week on it. And it's sitting there in front of me all week on this piece of paper. And I have calendars. I have fantastic Cal. I've got Apple watches. I got iPads. I got all this stuff, guys. I don't need this, but having it just in front of me in paper actually does kind of help me kind of keep on track. So there you go. Sparky has an analog side to him. No, I I get it. I mean, I use a paper notebook for, Similar things. And I, yeah. I will say everything on this Ugmunk website is beautiful. And everything they do is extremely high quality and, and thoughtful. And I don't know if I actually own any of this stuff. I don't think I've bought anything from them ever. But uh, I love all the way all of it looks and works. And I think that they, uh, they do really good work. Uh, Jeff Sheldon is the guy behind it. Mm-hmm. And he was a guest on the Focused podcast, Focused One Twenty One. I'll put a, um, I'll put a link in the show notes. And um, Jeff is exactly what you think he would be. <laughs> looking at his products, just a super thoughtful, mindful guy. Thinks about how this stuff can work and not be a distraction. I I really like him, and uh, so I like supporting him. And this isn't I didn't get any of this stuff free. I pay Jeff for everything I get from him. But it's just, I just think it's kind of nice. And these little cards, too. I mean, I know several labs members after I started talking about bottom, and they like them, too. It's it's a nice complement to a digital system. I think Jeff sells it as, like, this could be your whole task system. You know, you just fill them out, and then you have, like, cards to carry things over. And I think it quickly becomes kind of um, tedious for me, at least. I like having the bank of a digital task system. But when I get to the the operational part of it, the what am I going to do today thing, writing them down on the card uh, really helps. All right, we're the Mac Power Users. You can find us at relay.fm slash MPU. Don't forget next week's episode is dropping early when Steven is hot off the heels of being inside the Apple phone event. I can't wait to hear what he reports and what he tells us. Thank you to our sponsors today, Text Expander, SaneBox, ZocDoc, and Electric. 
For the more power users today, I'm going into the lion's den with Steven to talk about 3D printers. We'll see how that goes. Otherwise, we'll see you next time.